And the manager kind of looks up, the client kind of looks at him, the manager looked down and the customer walked out. And I was like, we've lost money every month. I was hoping that we would be in a stronger position now. We're getting pretty low on funds and we've literally just let money walk out the door. And I think it was in that moment that I realized, shit, we're in trouble. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss that keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete, proven, step-by-step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Jack Thomas. Jack, are you ready to rock? Absolutely ready, Andrew. Very happy to be here. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I'm going to tell the audience about you. Jack is the founder and CEO of BASE, voted Asia's Gym of the Year. With eight years' experience in Asia's fitness industry, Jack runs a multiple seven-figure fitness business in Bangkok with a team of over 30 coaches. Jack also hosts the Fitness Business Asia podcast, a weekly show with a mission to raise the standards of Asia's fitness industry. Jack regularly speaks at leading fitness industry events in Asia, such as the Fit Summit, Asia Fitness Convention, and X-Pro. Jack, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, that was a very brief introduction, but it's all very accurate. I first came to Thailand 15 years ago as a backpacker. Um, had a clothing export business, which I ran for about six or seven years. The financial crisis hit me very hard with that business, and I'd kind of lost motivation. So I jumped headfirst into the fitness industry, thinking that it was something that I would enjoy, but not necessarily something that carried you know, fantastic business opportunity. After a few years of working for somebody else, well, five years, um, and having a management position in another company, I felt like it was time to start my own thing. So that excited me. That's something that I wanted to do. So four years ago, I resigned from that position, set up base. And um, yeah, three years later, we are going strong in Bangkok and looking for expansion opportunities. So yeah, so far, so good. And very, very happy that I made the decision to get into this industry. Fantastic. And maybe a, a quick question for you is maybe you could just tell the audience about your own personal fitness journey. Were you always into fitness? Did it something that came to you later? How, how did your journey in fitness go? Yeah, some coaches and fitness business owners have this incredible transformation story where they, you know, maybe went from obese to being incredibly fit. And that's what inspires their clients. I don't quite have that, you know, super motivating story for me. I've always been pretty active, always been pretty fit. When I was younger, I played a lot of football, a lot of basketball. But what I did find is when I first came to Bangkok and I wasn't in the fitness industry, there wasn't much of an industry here. There weren't many gyms. I actually found that I gained weight quite quickly. There's a photo of me about 12 years ago, and I I feel like I look much better. I'm definitely in much better shape now at 37. So I kind of got stuck in that expat trap of in Bangkok, you know, you can't really walk that much. It's hard to kind of get outside that much. So you end up just taking taxis everywhere, sky train, drinking too much beer. So I kind of had a mini transformation, if you like, when I started training again about 12 years ago, 10 years Mm. ago, you know, there was a couple of gyms that just started to open up. So I then sort of started to see the beginning of Thailand's fitness industry as a client. And then it was eight years ago, of course, I decided to change careers and actually get in, you know, and start working in the fitness industry. So yeah, a mini transformation. Now, obviously, as part of the 
being part of a gym, you know, you really have to sort of take care of your health and fitness, not only because it's important just because it looks good for clients, but also because it really helps me perform at my very, very best. And I think anyone who has a very demanding job, anyone who's running a company, absolutely cannot neglect their fitness. That's a great point. And, you know, when I think about fitness for myself, all that I care about is the outcome. Whereas maybe other people are that you know, a friend of mine, she's just crazy about wanting to be at the gym and on this machine and that and doing. And I just looked at her and I thought, I have no interest in being here except to get the results that I can get out of it. It's just funny how everybody's got their different angle for being That's at the gym or exercising. That's right. But actually, you know, the, the industry develops in a very interesting way, I think. I think it used to be very much a chore, something that people didn't look forward to. What we have offered and brought to the market is something that people actually do really enjoy. And that's not just us. That's kind of what I would call the boutique fitness space, which is making it a very, very personalized experience. You get to learn people's names, you get to understand them better if they have any injuries. You really develop this community. You know, people really want to come to meet people, to hang out with friends, Often they'll hang out at the gym for an hour afterwards and they'll go for coffee, you know, as a group together after their session. And that's kind of the way the industry has gone in the last sort of five to 10 years. I find that really exciting. Fitness and health shouldn't be a chore. People should find a way to make it work for them in a way that they enjoy. And I'm very proud and happy that BASE does that for our clients. That's fantastic because I think, you know, for me, going to the gym can be a bit of a chore. And sometimes going to the gym means head down, don't talk to anybody, just, right. you know, do it. So, yeah, it's quite a revolution what you and, you know, what you're doing. So fantastic. Yeah. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about your circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, as I mentioned, I was working for another studio. I worked my way up from coach to manager to managing director. And I had that managing director role for about two and a half years. I was running a team. I'd recruited a team. And I just very much felt like it was time to do my own thing. So after speaking to one of my mentors and kind of working through what I wanted to do and what would work for me and what would excite me, I left that job and started to work on base. And actually, my mentor came on as a business partner. We still work today very closely together. So yeah, I, I scraped every single bar and pound I could get. I borrowed from family. I maxed out all of my credit cards. I'd already been saving for about a year and pretty much put every single thing that I had, both yeah, financially, emotionally, you know, spiritually, on the line with base. You know, I was absolutely all in with this. So. There was a bit of a rough road getting it opened up, as you would always have. You know, construction is very hard, as anyone who's built a location will tell you, bricks and mortar. But eventually, we got it open. You know, yeah, a few rocky moments along the way. But once we got it open, we felt pumped, felt good, felt ready. We opened up in August 2016, and that, that first six months was just so, so tough for us. And it's one of those things, that, you know, I'd never launched a business before, although I'd run one. And so launching one was really very different. The biggest, the single biggest thing that we didn't do was focus properly on sales and marketing. So we spoke to some marketing agencies. I wasn't really happy with what they said. So we decided to do that internally. So I was basically learning from scratch about marketing. Sales, we interviewed someone. He had a very strong service background. And I thought that he would be able to sort of tweak his service skills towards sales because for me, Good sales is actually just good service. You know, we're not trying to ram packages down customers' throats. We're just trying to find out what the right package is for them. He kind of said that he wasn't so comfortable with sales, but I thought, and I said to him, look, it's fine. We'll train you up. You've got a good personality. We're having a good chat now. I don't think it's too far a gap 
to bridge to make you good at sales. He was like, okay, cool, let's do it. We got him into the business and I started to see quite quickly that he was just avoiding the sales conversations. And that was, you know, very concerning, but I didn't quite realize the damage that it had. So I was trying to pull him aside, trying to give him sales training. He was kind of saying the right things. And there was one moment that it just sort of hit me that we were in trouble. We had a customer come in. We were doing free trials at the time. So the idea being that you give a free session to try and convert them to a full paying client. He went into, he did the session. I think he had a pretty good session. He went and got changed. He came out and I saw him kind of hanging around and I saw the manager look up at him and kind of look down. Of course, at the very least, we need to just talk them through the packages, let them know what we do. Again, just good service for me is letting them know that, hey, we do have packages. This is what we offer. And the manager kind of looked up. The client kind of looked at him. The manager looked down and the customer walked out. And I was like, we've lost money every month. I was hoping that we would be in a stronger position now. We're getting pretty low on funds and we've literally just let money walk out the door. And I think it was in that moment that I realized, shit, we're in trouble. He gradually resigned shortly after that. He, I think, realized that he wasn't really up to the task. And to be fair to him, it's not his fault at all. I recruited the wrong person. You know, you always got to put it straight back on yourself. What more could I have done in this situation? I kind of pushed him to do something that he wasn't really comfortable doing. I didn't recruit him well. I didn't train him well enough. And it wasn't really the right role for him. So he kind of realized pretty much at the same time as me, he resigned. And so, yeah, we weren't in a good position at all then. Our funds were running very low. It was getting a good sales manager in after that and learning from those mistakes. It really turned our business around and really stopped us from having to put more money into the business, which I didn't personally have. So that would have meant a dilution of shares. It just wouldn't have been a good time at all. So just seeing how huge that was, learning from that mistake was massive. On the marketing side, again, I I just taught myself, which I don't think was the best way to do it. But quite honestly, at the time, I just couldn't find someone who I, I believe could help us. So again, that was an interesting period to go through. It was, again, a difficult time because we weren't bringing in the right people. But now after learning more about marketing and after setting up our processes and doing that internally, I feel like it's put us in a stronger position afterwards. Mm. And just out of curiosity, did you replace that person immediately or you decided let's sell as is right now? I mean, because sometimes when you're in a situation like that, thinking about any business that, you know, yeah, now you want to go out and hire a better person, but better person costs money and, you know, you want to get more of them and, you know, but then you've also got the risk that, well, we hire another one and it doesn't work for whatever reason. I'm just curious, how did you pull yourself out of that? Well, you know, I realized things weren't good, but I wasn't quite, again, I think now knowing what I know now, I would have been like, okay, this isn't working out. You know, we'll give you a month's notice and we'll end it there. I think he was still on probation at the time, so we could have just ended it quite quickly. So I think knowing what I know now, I would have done that. At the time, I wasn't quite at the stage of like, right, we need to replace him as soon as possible. He kind of realized that a little bit before us. It was one of those things. He resigned, did it in the best possible way. He said he would give us a month to find some, a replacement. And it was then that, you know, you really sort of started to see how bad things were like in that month. And yeah, it was a difficult time. You know, no, we didn't have anyone else in mind. I, sometimes, sometimes, you know, things just kind of fall in your lap at the right time. You know, you might call it the universe answering you whatever you might call it, but someone applied for a job who'd worked at a yoga studio. She'd been there for five years. She was looking for a new challenge. I could learn from some of the mistakes from the first recruitment process and make sure that I vetted her more. We did a few role plays. I spoke to her a lot about sales, what she'd done in her previous role, her style of selling. She seemed very motivated by that. She seemed very excited to be hitting sales targets. She had a good idea from the yoga studio 
straight off the bat of what we should be aiming for as a studio of our size in our location. So it really ticked all the boxes. I really tried to make that betting process very strong. She was asking for more money, but it's one of those things, you know, you're not doing well. The solution there is not to cut costs in sales and marketing. If anything, it should be the opposite. So we invested into her. Yeah, a big roll of the dice, I guess. And things turned around pretty much straight away. So we went from being in a very nervy situation, let's say, to having a very strong first January and things just sort of fell into place. I started to use some of the marketing techniques that I'd learned to get new clients through the door and to get new leads. So I started to gain more knowledge about that. And that's something that I still do now for the company I'm very passionate about. And alongside that, our sales manager started doing the right things with those people that were coming through the door. So it started to sort of really click and really come together, you know, marketing to bring people in, sales to convert them to clients. And so, yeah, since then things have been, have been much, much better and have been much stronger. So we needed it. We needed a big January. I said that to the team, you know, we need this to be big for us. January is big for gyms. Fortunately it came together and, and yeah, we kind of recovered from that, that Rocky early spell. So what, what lessons did you learn from this experience? Well, I mean, so many. Yeah. One is it definitely helps us to tidy up our recruitment process. You know, the first time I basically thought he was a nice guy so we can get him to do this. And that wasn't quite the way to do it. So it definitely helps us to tweak and tailor our recruitment process. That's something that we've done for the last three years in every position in the business, really. Every time something goes right or something goes wrong, kind of look back and analyze what went right and what went wrong and see how you can kind of adapt your processes to make sure that it's, things are better later. I think, you know, you need staff that are excited by sales. I think, you know, for sales are the lifeblood of any business. So you need people that really get a bit excited about that, actually really want to do it. And they frame it in the right way that good sales is good service. So, you know, good sales for us, especially in our part of the industry, you know, we're sort of premium, we're high end. We want to find the right package for the right client. I would not be happy if a sales member of staff said to me, yeah, they didn't really want to train, but I really pressured them into buying 100 sessions. That would not be a good outcome for me. We want people to get the right package for them. We want them to be inspired. And we want them to, yeah, continue with us, you know, long term. So getting people that really understand that. And for me, if you can frame it in that way, then it shouldn't be awkward. It shouldn't be difficult because you're simply trying to find the right package for them. So it's, it's recruiting people that really kind of understand that and really get excited by that. I guess another way to put it is you don't believe that the product will just sell itself. You know, it's, you know, not usually the case that that happens. It's not in our industry. And quite honestly, I, I think I might have even said that to the first manager that started with us. Hey, don't worry. You know, we're really good at what we do. Our coaches are great. I might have even said those, those fatal words, the products will sell itself. And I, <laughs> I guess it's, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you can, I can laugh about it now, but I think, you know, that, yeah, at the time having that mindset really, really hit us hard. Got I it. think, you know, and, and ultimately, I guess to summarize, get people who are excited. If they really are like allergic to sales, if they really, really don't want to do it, it's going to be hard to turn that person around. So you have our old manager that I would say is allergic to sales. And, you know, that wasn't his fault. That was me not seeing it. You have the new manager that loved it and was excited by it and framed it in the right way. And then I think you have some people in the middle. You know, we have staff Mm -hmm. now that are in the middle and it's up to us to inspire them and to show them that good sales is good service. We are helping people get healthier, stronger, fitter each day. So... If we do our jobs well and if we do it right, we are having a very positive impact on people. Fantastic. Let me summarize a few things I take away. I think the first thing I, I love what one of my first bosses said to me, he said, we are on the cutting edge of capitalism. And he was saying that, that as an analyst, fund managers allocating capital, 
you know, our job is to identify where capital is being used profitably and where value is being destroyed and try to get money away from where it's being destroyed and get money to where value is being created. And what you learn in the area of entrepreneurship is that this is the ultimate edge of, you know, right at the edge, the cutting edge of capitalism. And really, a lot of people call entrepreneurs risk takers, but truthfully, they're risk managers. And you have to manage risk so carefully because you have a limited amount, a very limited amount of resources. And so this is a good reminder of that. The second thing that I take away is that, you know, when you're in a beginning stage or in a vulnerable stage of your business, it's not the time to take risks on, on your staff. I remember many years ago when I was head of research at a, at a firm, this was back to 1995, there was a guy that I hired as an, as an analyst. He'd never been an analyst before, but, you know, I liked him. He had a good personality and I thought, you know, he could do it. And, you know, eventually he did become a pretty good analyst, but it took a year. And the damage that that did to me personally was really tough to overcome from a reputational perspective, but also just that we weren't able to hit the goals that we wanted. And I just realized that there are times in your business when you have the resources to bet on people. And there's times in your business where you just can't make that bet. You've got to get someone mm. experienced into that. And I think that, you know, at the beginning of any business is definitely it. So I think, you know, those are the two things. I think the, the last thing I would just highlight is the, the role of intuition. And, you know, you mentioned it, that there was a point in time that you realized, oh boy, this isn't right or something like that. And I think it's that moment of intuition that part of what I've learned through all the podcast interviews is listen to your intuition and don't be afraid to raise its voice and follow it. And so those are the three things that I take away from your story. Is there anything you'd add? Yeah, I would agree with those for sure. I think, you know, I, I think there's a difference between having some concerns and knowing in your heart of hearts that this is not right. You know, I think we've all been in that position where we just know it's not going to work out. But for some reason, we wait another two months, three months, six months before we actually do something about it. And then when we do act on it, it's a why the, on earth did I not do that before? Mm. And, you know, you, to be honest, you don't just do it for your business. You primarily do it for your business, but you're also doing it for them as well. If they're in a role that's not right for them, you know, you shouldn't be wasting their time. You've wasted six months of everybody's time when it truly wasn't right. And I think, you know, if you can address that with them and help them see that, then, they, you know, often they're actually grateful, actually, when you let them go in the right way for the yeah. right reasons. Well, this, you know, our old manager did resign himself, but, you know, yeah, it was all done right. He was, he recognized it and we're on good terms. I bump into him every now and again. And like I said, yeah. it's really not his responsibility, it's mine. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you've continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And I think that my feeling is what you really need to think about is a person who's starting up a business is in their first few months or first year, and they're facing this challenge, particularly about sales. I'm just curious, you know, what one piece of advice would you give based upon what you've learned? Yeah, I guess it's a collection of some of the things that, that we've talked about. I think, you know, that recruitment process has to be absolutely bang on, right? That's something that we've then tried to learn from and we made sure I made sure that I did it for the next manager you know the managers after that we took the lessons that we've learned since then we do it on the coaching side a lot as well so really get that recruitment process absolutely nailed mm. the other thing I would say is in Thailand we have a three-month probation period which can be extended by one month to four months and it's quite typical in most countries mm. you've got to use that probation period very well you know really test them maybe get some mystery shoppers to come in have regular one-to-ones with them and of course if things aren't working out it's 
actually quite easy to let them go during that probation period, right? That is an opportunity for not just you to see if they will fit in with the company, but for them to see if the company's right for them as well. It's that, you know, trial period for both sides, right? And that's the way they should be viewed by everybody, not whether they will pass or not for your company. It's also, it's an opportunity to actually sell them the job if they're very good and show them that it's the right place to be. And then during that probation period, you've got to, yeah, you've got to find out then whether they are right for your company or not. So I believe that if you do the right things during the recruitment process and the probation period, by the end of that, you should really know if they're a right fit for your company or not. Yep. If you make the wrong decision then, and what we're talking about four or five months then after you've initially, you know, first met them and you offer them a full contract, then it's going to be a little bit harder to let them go. If things don't work out, you're going to have to pay them some kind of compensation here in Thailand. So I think there's a lot that you can do during that process. Don't neglect any aspects of it or any part of it. Make sure there's a lot of communication. Make sure you really try and understand whether they can do the job or not. Get a lot of feedback from other staff. And I think then that should help you recruit the right kind of people. Got it. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I'm going to wrap soon, if you don't mind. We are focusing on some building new technology that helps people record their fitness results as they go through a group fitness class. We've mm-hmm. built this technology absolutely from scratch. It's something that's, I think, very exciting and could change the fitness industry and the way that people train. We spoke before we went live on the podcast just the importance of recording your stats, your data, and how that can really make sure that you are making progress, right? Rather than just sweating a lot, feeling like you've worked hard and not really knowing if it's working for you. So we're super pumped, super excited for that. That's called Baseline, and it's part of our offering at Base. We are so pumped and excited for that. We want to bring it to one of the top fitness markets in Asia. So we're looking very closely at Singapore. I've been very vocal about that, really getting it out there to the masses. So it gives me accountability and making it happen as well. We would hope to launch in Singapore in the next 12 months or in 2020, or at least have committed to a location there. So yeah, in summary, get Baseline up and running fully. We're very much on our way there. Should be the next few months that we release it you know, completely to clients then take that to a leading market. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Jack, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result, and you are turning your worst investment into your best learning opportunity. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, just thank you for the opportunity. It's been great to meet you, Andrew, and to talk to you. Um, A couple of things I would say, you know, the bigger the loss, I think the bigger the lesson. I really do believe in that. If I look at some of the small losses that we have, for example, we had something that wasn't in someone's contract, ended up costing us around about $1,000 for one of our staff. And then I, you know, at first, so it was again, it was in the early stages. It hit me quite hard. But then I was like, you know what? This is actually quite a cheap lesson because now we're going to go through the contracts with a fine tooth comb and make sure this doesn't happen. If that cost me $50, maybe I wouldn't have done that in such a robust manner. So yeah, I really do believe the bigger the loss, the bigger the lesson. And also, I think and one of the reasons why I really love the idea for this podcast, you know, where you can try and learn your lessons from others. Now, unfortunately, I think often you have to have the loss yourself <laughs> to actually really learn it. But really Really try and put yourself in the mind of people that have had these losses, you know, listen back through the episodes of your podcast and really try and, yeah, empathize, feel the loss that that person had and make sure it doesn't happen to you. Because unfortunately, people listen to many podcasts, they read many books, but they don't actually do anything about it. So yeah, listen, put yourselves in the mind of that person and make sure that you don't make the same mistakes. The bigger the loss, the bigger the lesson. Well, that's a great way to end it. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth, fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.